700 Palestinian Islamic Jihad rockets barrage innocent Israeli civilians, killing four Israelis and leaving many more injured, including a Gazan woman and her small child killed by their own terror overlords. Gaza Terror News Recap plus analysis on this week's edition of Mideast News Brief. And thank you for joining us for this week's lucky 13th edition of Mideast News Brief. I'm your host, Winston R. Holland. I wonder, should I have just skipped episode 13 and called it episode 14 like they do at hotels? I mean, we all know it's the 13th floor, but it makes us feel better because it says 14th floor. I actually often wondered if they would ever make a horror movie called the 13th floor because really it's the 13th floor so uh, okay all right whatever uh depending on how the show goes we'll determine how superstitious i become at the end of this wonderfully numbered adventure please subscribe to the podcast on itunes google Podcasts, spotify stitcher tune in radio or just tell alexa to play midi snooze brief podcast And don't forget to leave a five-star review because you love the show just that much. Also, please give us a like on Facebook at Mitty Snooze Brief and on Twitter where I do my usual adventuring at Mideast Briefing, at Mideast Briefing, where I keep the stream steady with the most important news and analysis of Middle East events. Twitter is always an adventure. Also, I want to take a second to say thank you to those of you who listen regularly. This show has been quite a work in progress, to say the least. I really first started thinking about doing a podcast about three years ago. I remember I was at Social Media Marketing World in 2015 in San Diego, California, and I actually ended up sitting next to the in, uh, to the individual who has the site uh, the audacity to podcast and he's actually the guy who first introduced the idea of of uh, podcasting you know with audacity the audacity program that I use to me and really got the wheels turning and here we are I mean well over three years later four years later and uh, I'm on episode 13 of my podcast. So this has been a work in progress. Uh, my first foray into a radio type show, though. Um, I have done other broadcasting type projects in the past, but uh, engaging in news and analysis when it comes to Middle East events, let me just say, is like nothing I have ever attempted before. Uh, preparation takes quite a bit of time. So to have regular listeners who listen and appreciate the show really means the world to me. It makes it all worth it. So to those out there listening, either for the first time and especially to those who are who listen regularly, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being part of the Mideast News Brief family. I usually take the weekend off when it comes to news. I've been so much in the news throughout the week that by Friday afternoon, after I've done the podcast, I am D 
O-N-E. I'm done. I'm finished. And the last thing I really want to think about is what is going on <laughs> pretty much anywhere. I like to dive into some of my other interests or pleasure reading, such as my vain attempts to read more than two pages of The Fellowship of the Ring before I crash hard each night, um, or simply spending time with my family or working in the yard or carting children around or whatever else the weekend may take me to. I need the weekend to clear my head so that by Monday I'm jumping back into the insanity that is the news cycle with both feet hitting the ground running, beginning my preparations for Friday's broadcast. I literally, typically will start preparing for the broadcast on Monday. And just, there's so much news, there's so much information coming at me, and so much, and, and my job here is to bring you guys the most important events and the most important analysis out of the Middle East, that that's not something that can be done an hour or two before the show. It's got to be something that is done throughout the week. It's something that takes a significant amount of time. I mean, if we you know, put it into hours, I'm probably spending about 10 hours to prepare for a one-hour episode, which is fine. I'm, I'm actually quite happy to do it because this is a topic I'm, I'm fascinated in. But just to give you guys kind of an idea of what it takes to put a, a broadcast like this together, it is, uh, it's not a, it's not a wake up Friday morning and, oh, what's the most important news? And (laughs) let me print out some news articles and head to the studio. It's not, it's not quite like that, but that's my phone going off, but it's a really good thing that I greatly enjoy doing what I do and researching what I research. But just because you enjoy something does not mean that you want to be reading about it all day, every day, especially when it comes to the Middle East, which is such a, uh, uh, let me just say, a uh, uh, chaotic, uh, uh, chaotic idea uh, or a chaotic um, subject and region to be reporting on, not, not to mention just a lot of I mean, bad news, too. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a, a, a lot of kind of depressing stuff. So all that to say, I need the weekend off. But by Monday, I'm good to go. I'm ready to jump back in. So I uncharacteristically open up Twitter on my phone Saturday night, literally as I'm getting my kids in bed, and found something to the effect that Palestinian Islamic Jihad and associates out of Gaza have launched over 400 rockets into Israel that day. Over 400. One of those rockets killed a man in Ashkelon, which is just north of the Gaza Strip. Moshe Agadi, a 58-year-old father of four, was hit with shrapnel from a rocket next to his home. He happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was the first Israeli death from rocket fire since 2014. One of his brothers told Israel Radio that Agadi went outside to smoke between barrage and barrage of rockets and didn't make it to the bomb shelter in time. His other brother told Army Radio that, quote, we don't know how to continue from here. If Moshe was here, he would have given us hope. We are helpless. May God bless this family. May God bless this family. 
The Rockets went well into Sunday morning with the IDF tweeting out, quote, wherever you are in the world, whether you're now going to sleep or just starting your day, you need to know that for the second day in a row, Israelis are waking up to rocket fire from Gaza. Jason Greenblatt, Trump's envoy to the Middle East, gave a statement saying, quote, Hamas and PIJ, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, have engaged in yet another deplorable act of terrorism, indiscriminately firing hundreds of rockets at Israeli civilian communities. The U.S. stands firmly in support of Israel's right to self-defense, and we call on the international community to do the same, which some in the international community have, and of course others in the international community uh, applaud it and think it's absolutely wonderful that, uh, that the Islamist terrorists in Gaza are indiscriminately targeting hundreds of thousands, millions, millions of people. Remember, Israel's 20% Arab. Let's not forget that. They're happy to kill what they consider their own people to further their uh, political agenda, which we'll get to what that is a little later. According to the Times of Israel, uh, the UN's Mideast envoy, Nikolay Mladenov, said, quote, The United Nations was working with Egypt to restore calm and called on all sides to de-escalate and restore recent understandings. Those who seek to destroy them will bear, will bear responsibility for a cl- conflict that will have grave consequences for all. Isn't the duplicity and hypocrisy of the UN just oh so predictable? Think about this statement. The UN is calling on all sides to de-escalate. Really? I mean, really. PIJ and Hamas are putting on a jihadi fireworks show indiscriminately, aiming these rockets directly at Israel, and the UN is treating this conflict like it is a mutual skirmish? Are you kidding me? What right do they have to tell Israel to do a darn thing when they are the ones literally under attack? No, you call on PIJ. You call on the terrorists in Gaza to stand down. And you support Israel's right to not only defend herself, but to go on offense and destroy. Yes, destroy those that are perpetrating these attacks. But that's not what the UN does, does it? No, the UN loves to make it look like it is a uh, kind of uh, morally equal scenario where both sides are just fighting each other and they both need to both need to cut it out. You know, uh, two siblings battling it out over a Lego set or something like that. No, th- this is th- this is one-sided terrorism. Even the New York Times admits that. And, and of course, our favorite Congresswomen, uh, Tlaib and Omar, they, they think it's awful that the New York Times actually reported something accurately that Gazans fired rockets and Israel responded. I mean, we, it's like we have terrorists in the United States. We have terrorist sympathizers, terrorist supporters in the Congress of the United States of America. But I'll tell you this, the U.S. 
from within has always had enemies. We have we had communists embedded, and, and still do, but we've had communists embedded in the United States uh, since probably the, the beginning of the 20th century. So look, the U.S. has always had its enemies, and that doesn't mean they will prevail, and I do not believe that they will. So I go to bed Saturday night because it was a crazy weekend, a great weekend, but crazy. And I was exhausted and fall asleep to the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, exploring the dwarvish minds of Moria, the book, not the movie. And by the way, if you've never read Fellowship of the Ring, do not expect it to be quite like the movie. Let's just say the movie moves along quite a bit faster. Um, but uh, still a good bo- book, but uh, not quite as, as fast-paced. But that's neither here nor there. I wake up Sunday morning, and again, uncharacteristically... After I've stumbled to the Keurig, of course, hop online to check the latest. Sunday morning is the last <laughs> day that I, uh, last time period of the week that uh, you can find me typically checking the news. But after what happened in Israel the day before, um, I had to do I had to do that. So by Sunday morning, uh, my time over, uh, you know, Eastern time, over 500 rockets now have been fired. At least two to three more Israelis dead. Seven Gazans dead. One Hamas rocket at 2 a.m. Sunday morning even hit a special needs kindergarten. But thankfully, uh, no one was in it. As, uh, As I'm listening to the news... Even what is widely considered but quickly disseminating from acting as a conservative news outlet, who will go unnamed, (coughs) Fox News, they pull a New York Times. They pull an Al Jazeera. They pull a Washington Post. They just give the numbers. X amount of, of Israelis dead and X amount of Gazans dead. And yes, very sadly, a pregnant Gazan woman and her child are dead. But the way they report it, the way Fox framed this short news segment could easily be taken, I mean easily, as the Israelis are cold-blooded killers who don't blink to take out a pregnant mother and child. This is your new Fox News, ladies and gentlemen. I was was really disgusted. Context matters, and we in the press have a responsibility to, not to frame it conservatively or republicanly, that's my made-up word for the day, but to, in as much as is in our power to do, and certainly Fox has that power, much more than I do, to frame it accurately and in context. It actually reminds me of a Washington Post ad I saw once that said, Trump calls undocumented immigrants animals. You know, click here to read more. Interestingly, when did Trump call undocumented immigrants animals? Well, he called the infamous MS-13 gang animals. And yes, many members, I would think, of the MS-13 gang are undocumented immigrants. They all are illegal aliens. But, so actually the Washington Post headline 
was technically not incorrect. But the context, the lack of context completely changed what you would take the meaning of the headline to be. Trump did not call undocumented immigrants in general animals. There's no absolute way. He called members of the horrific, brutal MS-13 gang members animals. And it was so telling that all of these people on the left then came out to like defend this brutal gang which I'm not even going to go to on this show what they actually do to people right this is not that kind of show they do unbelievably horrific things to people so context matters if they wanted to actually report what Trump said accurately and in context to give the correct meaning which, I mean, this is the Washington Post, so, you know, I, I don't expect that at all. But if they did, they would have said, Trump calls members of brutal, horrific, deadly MS-13 gang animals. Context matters. And I, I just, I, it, 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 it's really upsetting the direction it seems like Fox is going. Originally, the, the idea was for them to be a fair and balanced news outlet and you know you could argue definitely argue that they were more on the conservative realm for a long time and now it appears the pendulum is swinging way on the other direction and uh they're really going leftist it'll be interesting to see what they do with the uh you know the sean hannity and tucker carlson types as you know disney continues to take over and of course they're going to want fox news to be completely leftist so that's why channels like One American News Network and so forth are are going to rise up because Fox is it looks like Fox is a sinking ship. So that's where where I was at Sunday morning. Now we've got over 500 rockets that have been indiscriminately fired into Israel. <clears throat> US ambassador to Israel David Fried, David Friedman tweeted out this statement from the State Department. It says the United States the United States strongly condemns the ongoing barrage of rocket attacks by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad from Gaza upon innocent civilians and their communities across Israel. We call on those responsible for the violence to cease this aggression immediately. We stand with Israel and fully support its right to self-defense against these abhorrent attacks. As noted in the State Department travel advisory, US citizens should exercise caution and remain alert to emergency situations. <clears throat> Makes you wonder what would be said under the Obama administration. I, I don't know. I don't know. I hope the same thing would be said. Because support for Israel, support for self-determination of Israelis, and support of a sovereign nation to defend itself from belligerence is, should be basic, no matter your political party. And historically in the U.S., support for Israel has been very bipartisan. But we have just these wonderful new people in Congress that don't necessarily agree. No, they sympathize with terrorists. They sympathize and support terrorists. And as we've talked about before, Ilhan Omar fundraises for CARE. CARE is a front group for Hamas. CARE was a... a 
uh, unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation trial where uh, they were funneling money to Hamas, the terrorist group. So look, th- th- this is, uh, we, we, we have enemies. We have enemies of the United States, like blatant enemies of the United States serving in our Congress. And I'm not saying that because they're Muslim. There are, there are some Muslims who believe in separation of church and mosque. There are some Muslims who believe strongly in integrating and support our United States Constitution. So I'm not blanketing Alma. I'm not saying this at all because they're Muslims. I'm saying this because they are sympathizing with Hamas terrorists, and they don't unequivocally come out and say that Israel has a right to defend herself and condemn the indiscriminate firing of rockets on innocent civilians. I mean, that that should not be understated. That tells you a whole lot when they are okay with the murder of civilians. Look, you don't have to be a Zionist to believe that, yeah, Hamas should not be targeting innocent civilians. You don't, you don't have to be a Zionist. You could even on some level be pro-BDS, even though uh, we, we got to talk about BDS at some point because BDS is, without a doubt, a, um, a terror-linked movement. It's not just some grassroots, out-of-nowhere kind of movement. No, it's boycott, divest, and sanction is actually a uh, terrorist-linked movement. I need to do just a special episode on that. And actually, there's this uh, fabulous report that just came out actually linking um, BDS uh, in Ramallah in the Palestinian uh, Authority in the in the West Bank, linking uh, that group directly with with terrorism, and it is it's telling what the BDS movement is, which is their ultimate goal to destroy the state of Israel. <clears throat> Sunday morning at eleven forty-five a.m. Eastern Time, Jason Greenblatt, Trump's envoy to the Middle East, tweeted out: "Hamas and PIJ have fired over five hundred rockets at Israel." killing three Israelis, wounding many. When people ask why we're focused on Israel's security and our plan, this is one very important reason. Peace can only be built on truth and reality. Many pretend, many try to pretend this away. We won't. Also on Sunday, the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, responded by assassinating a Hamas field commander. 39-year-old Hamed Ahmed Abed Kudri by targeting and blowing up his vehicle. This man was responsible for transferring cash from Iran to Gaza. Amazingly, in today's day, anyone in the world can watch this assassination video. I did see it. I did watch it. But I did not enjoy seeing it. It needed to happen, and I get what the scripture says in Romans 13, that the governing authorities do not bear the sword for nothing, and that they are an instrument of punishment. So I get that, and governments have the right to do that. But someone's life being taken is never enjoyable to watch, even if it is justified, as it certainly is in this situation. Uh, The IDF tweeted out a picture of Hamed's destroyed vehicle, 
And this is what they said. I mean, <laughs> the IDF gets pretty poignant. Quote, we just targeted Hamed Ahmed Kudari, a Gazan terrorist responsible for transferring Iranian funds to Hamas and PIJ in Gaza, helping fund their rocket fire at Israelis. Transferring Iranian money to Hamas and the PIJ doesn't make you a businessman. It makes you a terrorist. The Israeli security cabinet instructed the IDF to order more strikes in the Gaza Strip as well as send more troops to southern Israel. The Navy has been attacking Gaza as well at this point Sunday night. Now, let, I want to mention a few things that Hamas and the PIJ have said up to this point. Hamas on Sunday said that, quote, we will ensure you have no safe spots, indicating that the rockets will not be limited to southern Israel, but all of Israel. And remember, it was just a few weeks ago that a rocket, a Hamas rocket, actually fired all the way to a town just north of Tel Aviv, which is way on the northern side of the country. And what Hamas was showing there is that, yeah, we can target anywhere in Israel. So we will ensure you have no safe spots, indicating, like I said, that the rockets will not be limited to southern Israel, but all of Israel, and thus all of its residents, including its 20% Arab population, and including any events going on in Israel. Any events going on in Israel are fair game. <clears throat> of course, one of their undisclosed agenda items has to be their desire to disrupt the Eurovision event. Israel hosted Eurovision on Sunday, which if you're not familiar, Eurovision is an international singing contest where even internationally famous singers such as Madonna this year attend and perform at. Why is it in Israel this year, you ask? Well, the way it works is that the home country of the previous year's winner hosts the event the next year. So Netta Barzillai, if I'm saying her name correctly, an Israeli, won the contest last year with the song Toy, so here it is in Tel Aviv this year. Anyone surprised that the rocket fire would happen the day before an international event that includes singing, which is not part of Islam in any manner I'm familiar with, um, Westerners, celebration, fun, and yes, I'm sure some uncouth activity. But keep in mind that Hamas storms the streets New Year's Eve, making sure nobody is having any New Year's parties. That's what Hamas, they want to make sure nobody is having fun, nobody's enjoying themselves, nobody's having any kinds of New Year's parties. That's what Hamas does. That's who the Gazan people voted to put in power. This is an unbelievably evil, demonic terrorist group committed to death, destruction, misery, hiding behind their own people as human shields, all in the transcendent cause of advancing a religion that desires to bring all those things to every corner of the earth. Sunday evening at 5.50 Eastern Time, U.S. President Donald Trump made a statement on Twitter. 
He said, once again, Israel faces a barrage of deadly rocket attacks by terrorist groups Hamas and Islamic Jihad. We support Israel 100% in defense of its citizens. Thank God for our president. Thank God for our president. I'm also thanking God for our president and how he is handling the Islamic Republic of Iran, which if we have time, we will get into in a little bit. Hamas leader Sunday night made a statement that, quote, a return to a state of calmness is possible, yet keeping it is a relation to Israeli willingness to stop aggression. Let me say that again. <laughs> he, this, this, oh, the hubris. Listen to what he said. A return to a state of calmness is possible, yet keeping it is in relation to Israeli willingness to stop aggression. Don't you love how the demented terrorist mind works. Quote, you know, I fire hundreds of rockets at your city, indiscriminately targeting men, women, and children, Jew and Arab. And now if you want peace, you first stop all retaliation, all retaliation, and continual peace is all about your lack of regression. Really? Look, this is calculated, sinister speech designed to give fodder to the happily duped, self-deluded, idiotic Western press that loves death and hates life. That, that's what this stuff is designed for, because Hamas knows that so much of the Western press are just, uh, they're really just flat-out anti-Israel, and they enjoy, uh, or I don't want to say enjoy, but they are basically on the side of Hamas and the PIJ, because they're against Israel. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they put out statements like this, and the Western press can just take it and eat it up, and this is, and just quote Hamas. This is what they said. You know, oh, okay, it looks like Hamas is reasonable. Look, Hamas, yeah, they just, they just want the, uh, look, they can have peace, but look, Israel's got to stop their aggression. I mean, really, how can Israel, uh, how can we expect peace when Israel is just, so aggressive toward Hamas, to these poor Gazans living in the Gaza Strip. And out of curiosity, I checked to see if Hamas's Twitter account had been suspended. A as we know, Twitter is not necessarily this, uh, oh, shall I say, grand arbiter of the free exchange of ideas. And they tend to like to silence and mute and uh, suspend people that they disagree with. And as, as of Monday morning, and now also, after launching over 700 rockets indiscriminately at Israeli citizens, killing four, wounding many more, destroying the homes of many, including 25 Gazans dead, they do. They still have their Twitter account. James Wood doesn't, but Hamas does. Alex Jones doesn't, but Hamas does. Milo doesn't, Hamas does. And sure, Alex and Milo say ridiculous things. But are they murdering innocent people in cold blood and encouraging others to do the same? Candace Owens and David Hor Horowitz were temp temporarily banned. But Hamas? Never. Jay Zahav won, an incredible Twitter activist I used to follow. 
was banned, still banned. But Hamas? Never. Oh, Hezbollah and the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which are all terrorist organizations, they all have Twitter accounts. The left sides with terror. And that is what the left is. And look, they can pretend that they are equal arbiters by um, getting rid of Louis Farrakhan's account. But <laughs> when you're giving terrorists a voice, uh, I'm sorry, you can, you can pretend all you want, but we know what's going on. It's kind of like when the IRS targeted conservative political groups and unfairly going after them, and then they did the same thing to like a few left-wing groups, to basically to make it look like that, uh, you know, they were just, they don't go after people because of their political views. I'm sorry. There, there were like over 100 groups that ended up suing the IRS, and there were something like three, four, five or something left-wing groups uh, that, um, that had the same problem. So, no, we know what you're up to. And, of course, I mean, they came out, the IRS came out and actually apologized to conservative groups for... Uh, for uh, targeting, targeting them. So, uh, so yeah, no. But th- this is the left. Look, the left ultimately supports terror, and that's what we're seeing. The left has become, to in a small respect, and is becoming. They're becoming so radical and so unhinged in their hatred for Donald Trump, and of course, so supported supportive of Muslim terror that the left has become terrorist sympathizers and supporters. I Look, I don't believe in going after people of a different political party just because they're of a different political party. Look, they ran a campaign. Even someone like Cortez, who is just obviously I, has to be the most ignorant member of Congress in our history. Look, she ran, and she won. I don't think we should go after her simply because she won an election and we don't like her, like what they've been doing with Donald Trump for the past two years. I don't believe in that. That is not the way our constitutional republic, whose uh, representatives are elected democratically, I don't believe that's how it works. But there is a strong difference between that and investigating members who have who who are sympathetic with terrorist organizations and who even fundraise for terror front groups like the Council of American Islamic Relations. That's all I'll say on that. As of 10 p.m. Israel time on Sunday night, the IDF posted an infographic with this update, which if you were following on Twitter, at Briefing, you would have seen me retweet. 600-plus rockets launched at Israel. 150-plus rockets intercepted. 280 terror targets destroyed in Gaza. Four, Israeli killed, four Israelis killed dozens of Israelis 
injured. And actually, the latest numbers are 700 rockets, uh, about 250-plus uh, rockets intercepted by the uh, Israeli Iron Dome defense system, which I am happy to say that we helped to pay for. So that was that was the update. Also Sunday night, the IDF said in a statement that the security cabinet had told the IDF that they were, quote, intensifying the attacks against the terror organizations in Gaza. By Sunday night, four Israelis had been killed, including a 21-year-old Israeli-American citizen. Uh, I almost shouldn't, even, shouldn't say his name because <laughs> a, a Pinchas Menachem Prezwazman. Uh, I botched that, who died by rocket shrapnel as he was running for cover. Sunday night at his memorial service, his father said, I don't understand why this is happening, but I am sure that you have filled your purpose on this earth. You know, it comes to the question of why God allows something like this to happen, which is obviously a philosophical question. Um... I'm not going to get into that right now. Why does it happen in the natural? Well, ultimately, the reason why it's happening is that uh, Gaza is run by a terrorist organization, terrorist organizations, uh, both of which are funded by Iran. We'll get to that in a second. Iran, uh, Qatar... They've got their international funders, and it's happening because, and look, and this is from conservative Jews that I'm, I'm hearing about this. They are very upset that the Israeli government has not invaded Gaza and squashed them like a bug. The question is, Right. At what point are they going to do that? I don't know. I don't know how long they are going to let Hamas and PIJ run the gamut in the Gaza Strip. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, imagine to sit back, close your eyes and imagine you're sitting in your home, spending time with your kids, watching television or maybe much better, maybe even reading a book. Boom! 20 feet away, a rocket hits the ground. And then a few minutes later, another rocket. And a few minutes later, another rocket. There are rocket, sire, rocket sirens going off. And you know at any moment, you know at any second, one of those rockets could smash into your home, killing you and your entire family. And that for over a period of two days, two days, that's how long this lasted, two days, 48 hours. You have to think about, is it safe to be in my home or should I be in my bomb shelter? I can't even fathom. We can't even fathom. Could you imagine if some rogue group did that to the United States of America? We would crush them. And rightly so, because they are terrorist thugs that deserve to be defeated. And I say that as a Christian with full love in my heart. Look, 
The government is a sword used by God to destroy evildoers. That is New Testament. That is New Covenant. I don't enjoy anybody dying. I hate the fact that people are trapped in this evil, horrific ideology. I don't rejoice in any death. I don't. I hate it. But it is necessary sometimes because if you don't deal with it, even more innocent people are going to die. And I can't even fathom something like that happening over my own city, my own country. And trust me, (laughs) if I know anything about our current president, it would not last very long. It would not last very long. Ziad al-Hamamda, 47, was a third casualty when a Gazan missile fired on his city of Ashkelon. And Moshe Feder, a 68-year-old man, was a second victim when a missile hit his vehicle. Moshe Agadi, as mentioned earlier, was, of course, the fourth fatality. And, as could be predicted, the peaceful Hamas terrorist group agreed to a ceasefire that went into effect 4.30 a.m. Israeli time on Monday morning. A spokesman for the Palestinian Resistance Committee said, the ceasefire agreement was reached on condition that the occupation implements the previous understandings to lift the blockade on the Gaza Strip. Hamas TV and Islamic Jihad also confirmed it. The occupation. That's That's what they call the state of Israel. Occupation. In other words, the Jews that are there should not be there because this land belongs to Palestinians. And if they had it their way, the six million or so Jews, quote, occupying Israel would be pushed into the Mediterranean Sea. That's the enemy that they're dealing with. And that is why, in my very, very, very humble opinion, They are going to have to cut the head off the beast at some point. Now, I'll say this. There there are, why didn't Netanyahu, right? That's the big question. Why the bleep didn't Netanyahu invade Gaza, right? And just cut the head off this hydra. And then cut the new head that forms, and then cut the new head that forms, just cut and cut and cut and cut until that hydra is dead and done and demolished. It's easy for me to sit behind a microphone and be upset that he didn't do that here in America, right? So I'm not going to, uh, and again, I've said this on a previous broadcast, I'm not going to have such hubris, right, as to tell the Prime Minister of Israel, what he should be doing. I'm reminded of a quote from, it was a former Israeli Prime Minister, uh, it may have been Sharon, who said, what you see from here is not what you see from there. Plain and simple. What you see from here is not what you see from there, uh, regarding uh, being the, the Prime Minister of Israel. And I would say that any head of state you know, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that or whatever? Look, there are factors that we don't know about. But there are some factors we do know about. Um, one of which is, do they want to, uh, 
you know, do they want to get in an escalation in Gaza when Iran is just building up and building up and building up troops in Syria? Uh, that's that's for one. So if they're in a f- fully engaged conflict in Gaza, will they be able to you know, do what they need to do to monitor that situation to the north of them and make sure that doesn't get out of hand? Because it looks like Iran has won the Syrian civil war. Of course, it's Syria that's fighting it, but they're, of course, uh, funded and helped by Iran mainly and also Russia and, and other various various groups. So that's a consideration. Another consideration is, you know, if they launch some kind of ground invasion into Gaza, how many Israeli soldiers are going to die as a result of that? Their sons and daughters. Look, and Israel is very different in America. America, we're a 100% volunteer army. I think that's got to be like unprecedented in, in history that in modern times armies are com- you know com- completely volunteer. And I, actually, I'm not sure how many other countries are like that where it's all volunteer. I'm not sure. I've never researched that out. Uh, but uh, it's very different in Israel. In Israel, every child eventually serves. Every citizen eventually serves in the Israeli army. I think there's some exceptions with uh, with Arabs. Uh, there's also there's been <laughs> the past few years there's been a big battle going on with the um, the Orthodox Jewish community trying to uh, keep yeshiva students, that is uh, schools of Hebrew learning, uh, yeshiva students out of out of the army as well. But for the most part, everybody, everybody in Israel, man and woman serves in the army. Men have to serve a minimum of three years, women a minimum of two years. So to say that Israelis have some skin in the game when it comes to any type of war that they declare is no understatement. This is their sons and daughters. A good percentage of the population which has them are, are currently served. So a good population, or I'm sorry, uh, a good percentage of the population has sons and daughters serving right now. So look, th- there's there's some big, big considerations. And, and then there's a the consideration of ultimately what you do, how you manage this area once it's conquered. Remember, this is a very small area, like one-tenth the size of... Uh, of Delaware. One-tenth, like, the size of Delaware with, like, 1.8 million people, right? So this is, I mean, <laughs> this is a tiny area with a whole lot of people. So the, it, all that to say, it's not a it's not a simple situation. It's a difficult situation. Um, however, you got to deal with it. Now, maybe the deal of the century is going to deal with it in some way, Um but right now, Gazans are blockaded in. Israel won't let them in, uh, and for good reason, and Egypt won't let them in. right? So if you're going to call Israel racist for not opening up their border and allowing Gazans to flow in, allowing terrorists to flow in, lots of terrorists to flow in, then uh, you got to call Egypt racist also because they're doing the same thing. 
this is a this is a big problem that must be dealt with, but it can be. So it'll be interesting to see what the deal of the century does with that. And they better not re- release it because I am going on a cruise <laughs> in June. And if they release that during the cruise, I am going to be upset because I, of course, will not be broadcasting that week. But uh, maybe they'll do it, you know, while I'm not on vacation with my family. On Monday, Netanyahu made a statement on the ceasefire without mentioning the ceasefire. Netanyahu said, Over the last two days, we struck Hamas and Islamic Jihad with great force. We hit over 350 targets. We struck terrorist leaders and operatives, and we destroyed terrorist buildings. The campaign is not over, and it demands patience and sagacity, which, uh, okay, I admit I had to look, <laughs> to look up what sagacity means, um, and it means acuteness of mental discernment and soundness of judgment. So patience and acuteness of mental discernment and soundness of judgment. Sagacity, there you go, there's your, there's your uh, factor word of the day. We are prepared to continue. The goal has been and remains ensuring quiet and security for the residents of the South. And another statement from Netanyahu, made from the Situation Room also on Monday, here's what he said. In the past two days, we have renewed the policy of eliminating senior terrorists. We killed dozens of terrorists from Hamas and Islamic Jihad and destroyed terror towers. We have changed the rules of the game. And Hamas understands this very well. With that, it is clear that this is not the end of the campaign. And I therefore gave instructions to prepare for what will come next and give directive to leave armored and artillery forces around the Gaza Strip. So really, ultimately, that's where things stand as of today. There's a ceasefire. There haven't been any more rockets, um, at least as of this broadcast. And we're in a, we find ourselves in a situation that we have been in. Uh, for a long time, which is we Israel unilaterally pulls out of Gaza in 2005. The people vote in democratically, terrorist organization, and this is what we get. Rockets, rockets, dead Israelis, dead Gazans. And the Gazans, I mean, the, the Hamas and PIJ, they are more than happy to use their own people as human shields, to launch rockets by hospitals, by schools. No problem blowing up kindergartens. They don't care. And in fact, they love it when their own targets and their own people get struck because the Western media and and evil, evil politicians love to use that to demonize Israel. It's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. And that is why in 2020, those representatives in the United States Congress who sympathize and work for these terrorist groups must be booted out. Booted out. So the question really then becomes, which I hinted at just a minute ago, where does Israel go from here? You're, of course, going to get a plethora of opinions on that. And again, I'm not going to pretend that I know the correct course of action. But I thought the statement from someone who is in the know, Energy Minister Yuval Steinitz, 
Uh, I think he summed it up rather well. This is from Israel National News, May 6, 2019. In order to get rid of Hamas, we need to conquer Gaza. It's something which is possible, but it will exact a very heavy price, Steinitz told Army Radio. The Israeli attacks last night were like the worst ones we carried out in Operation Protective Edge. Then we brought down buildings after 50 days. Now we did it in less than a day. The other side was surprised that we did not tone down our response prior to Memorial Day. When asked whether Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is interested in separating Gaza from the Palestinian Authority in order to prevent a two-state solution, Steinitz said, the ones causing a separation between Gaza and Ramallah are the Palestinians. So that's where we stand uh, right now. There's a kind of, uh, there's a ceasefire, apparently unofficial ceasefire. And we will see what continues to develop. Now, I want to hit a few news stories real quick on um, just uh, some items related to the to the attacks on Israel. So, a- as mentioned before, um, a pregnant woman and her child were killed right in the exchange. The media was quick to blame it on Israel because that's what they do, right? Because Israel is the evil, racist uh, occupier that, of course, indiscriminately murders, um, indiscriminately murders women and children. But uh, the question is, whose fault was that really? Whose fault really was? The, the the death the the unnecessary death of a of a Gazan pregnant Gazan woman and her child. I hate that I'm even reporting on this because I hate that it even happened in the first place. This wasn't necessary. This didn't have to happen. And what's even sick sicker about it is that the the God the Hamas and PIJ they love this stuff because it's all about their terrorist PR campaign to demonize Israel. And I was just reading some uh, reports before the broadcast that, of course, the uh, United Nations Security Council is just blasting and blasting and blasting who? Hamas, Palestinian Palestinian Islamic Jihad, for uh, raining down fire from heaven onto innocent Israelis. No, they're, they're blaming Israel. They're having to feel down Israel. It's it's truly it, the, the UN Security Council is full of autocrats, dictatorial regimes that are they're just full of anti, just filthy, filthy, anti-Semitic governments. It's a joke. The UN is a joke. And I was listening to uh, someone yesterday, basically saying it's just it's. And this was not some like, you know, right-wing conservative. This was a an intellectual. Out of out of Jerusalem, basically saying it is it is time to not that right wing conservatives can't be intellectual. There's plenty of them, 
plenty of them, but this is not someone you would typically think of as the kind of people who say this stuff. Um, he basically came out and said, it's time to disband the United Nations. You know, when the United Nations originally formed, the idea was uh, for it to be something that can bring peace and, and justice to the world. And instead, it's just become a cesspool of autocrats, of dictators, for them to foment their anti-Israel hatred. I mean, they, again, they have, there's a separate agenda item for Israeli human rights abuses. And then there's another agenda item for everybody else. I mean, that's just, it's just, it's just mind-boggling the flat-out, I mean, you could charge racist nature of the United Nations. And it's garbage. It is garbage. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Islamic Jihad allegedly admits baby and mom killed by their own rockets. The Islamic Jihad admitted that the baby that was killed in Gaza during the latest escalation died as a result of a misfired rocket, TPS reported on Monday. Quote, a leak from the heroes of the Islamic Jihad Serayut al-Quds, Jerusalem Brigades, on the circumstances of the death of the baby Sabu Abu Arar indicates that a rocket of the resistance exploded inside the family's home due to a technical failure and prematurely exploded. A news item by Hamas's Al-Rasala News said. Did you get that? Notice anything interest, interesting in that paragraph? A rocket of the resistance, that's them, the heroes, right? Islamic Jihad. A rocket of the resistance exploded inside the family's home due to a technical Failure. What was a rocket doing inside of a family's home? Are you kidding me? That's where they were launching the rocket from. Now there's a technical failure and a pregnant mom and child are dead. The report was published in a Telegram account related to Hamas on Sunday afternoon, and it was removed shortly after its publication. Quote, There is a claim that the technical failure was caused by low-grade explosives in the rocket, it added. There is no doubt that the baby's death has nothing to do with the enemy's, quote, you know, uh, Israel's planes. The 14-month-old and a woman... That was initially identified as her pregnant mother died last Saturday night. Contradictory sources say that the woman was killed with Saba was a who was killed with Saba was a different relative. The Hamas-led Ministry of Health in Gaza immediately blamed Israel for it, even though the Israeli Defense Forces categorically denied the claim. According to TPS, Islamic Jihad representatives met with the victim's family on Sunday morning to offer them compensation and to qualify the baby as a martyr in exchange for their silence on the circumstances of her death. You've got to look at any claim from the international community with uh, about uh, Israel just indiscriminately killing women and children 
with extreme skepticism. Extreme skepticism. Do you remember that video a few years ago where the Palestinian, uh, the Arab Palestinian father, gave his son some rocks? And this was like his like five year old son, four year old, five year old son, little boy, gave him some rocks. And told him to go over there, go over there and throw rocks at the Israeli soldiers. Go over there. And the little, the poor little kid just like looked around. He didn't know what to do, but he obeyed his dad. And he, he went over there with a, with, with a rock in his hand. He just kind of wandered over there. I mean, this poor, innocent little boy. And of course, he goes over to the Israeli soldier. And the Israeli soldier holds up his hand to give him a high five. <laughs> and then the little boy gives the, the the little Arab boy gives the Israeli soldier a high five. And and you hear the father in the background going, "Shoot him! Shoot him! Shoot him!" Wanting the dad was wanting the Israeli soldier to murder his little boy. So that they could have propaganda video to feed to the Western press who would more than love to demonize Israel with it. That is the culture of the uh, Palestinian Authority. That is the culture of Gaza. And it's, it's really, really, really sad. Uh, that's what they have. That's what they have to deal with. And uh, and that's why a two-state solution, ceding land to terrorists, cannot, cannot, cannot work. Real quick, what did our friends Rashida Talib and Ilhan Omar? They made history by being the first two women Muslims in uh, uh, in Congress. Of course, after that freedom-loving, uh, Jew-loving uh, Keith Ellison, right? We know he's he's such a fan of of Israel as well, and uh, such a fan, uh, and definitely not a racist. No, not he loved Farrakhan, but no, he's he's pro. He loves Jewish people, just loves them. Far left reps Rashida Tlaib. This is from uh, the Daily Wire, May fifth. Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar attacked Israel on Sunday and defended the Palestinian terrorist attacks that targeted Israel over the weekend. Amar and Tlaib, who are both well-documented anti-Semites, which, of course, I'll have this uh, news story up on mideastnewsbrief.com in the show notes of this episode, so you can go and you can um, uh, read more about that if you'd like, rushed to attack Israel and defended the terrorism that was being carried out against Israel. In response to a New York Times headline that stated that Palestinian terrorists had fired hundreds of rockets into Israel, Tlaib wrote on Twitter, quote, When will the world stop dehumanizing our Palestinian people who just want to be free? Headlines like this and framing it in this way just feeds into the continued lack of responsibility on Israel who unjustly oppress and target Palestinian children and families. Hashtag free Palestine. 
No condemnation of the rockets. No condemnation of the indiscriminate killing of innocent men, women, and children. It's all about the the evil Jews, the evil Jews. Like Omar said uh, back in 2012, that Israel has hypnotized the world. This is this is disgusting. Um, Free Beacon contributor Noah Polak wrote in response to Talib, "If you follow her logic here, she's saying that anyone who fights back against Palestinian terrorism is quote dehumanizing our Palestinian people." i.e., Palestinians have an inherent right to kill Jews. I have no doubt she believes this. I have no doubt, too. Look, this is a woman who gave her acceptance speech for United States Congress wrapped in a Palestinian flag who said she's going to go to Congress and impeach the blankety-blank Donald Trump. This woman is an enemy of the United States of America. If I ever ran for Congress and won, I would be wrapping myself in an American flag. I don't care if you're from England. Heck, I don't even care if you're from Israel. You win a seat in U.S. Congress, your first thought should be wrapping yourself in an American flag, not wrapping yourself in the flag of a terrorist entity. Yes, she's an enemy of the United States. This is very, very clear. And it's not difficult to figure out. But we can't forget about Omar. Omar took a more aggressive stance defending the terrorists, writing, quote, How many more protesters must be shot, rockets must be fired, and little kids must be killed until the endless cycle of violence ends? The status quo of occupation and humanitarian crisis in Gaza is unsustainable. Only real justice can bring about security and lasting peace. Pollock wrote the following in response to Omar. Omar's only real justice can bring about securities. I'm sorry. Omar's, quote, only real justice can bring about security, end quote, is code language. She's saying that terrorism is justified until, quote, real justice is achieved. What is real justice? The destruction of Israel. Omar is an Islamist. What does she mean by real justice? Ariel Davidson tweeted. Someone should ask her. For there's nothing just about an anti-Semitic jihadist group being propped up by members of U.S. Congress. Daily Wire editor-at-large Josh Hammer tweeted, quote, A genocidal Sunni jihadist group was democratically elected by a radicalized populace in an area from which Israel unilaterally withdrew. And Ilhan Omar finds a way to still blame Israel. This is outright Hamas propaganda rife with countless falsehoods, conservative reviews Jordan uh, Schachtel tweeted. There is no occupation in Gaza. Your Hamas friends are responsible for the deaths of children. They were not protesters. Stop defending jihadist terrorists. And let me again remind, let's remind ourselves that Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005 at the demand and command of the international community. And because we had just a, a weak prime minister that went along with with this abominable scheme. Hamas runs Gaza. And the problems in Gaza are their fault. Nobody else's. But that's very typical of the left, right? Those on the right, we, we tend to understand the concept of personal responsibility. 
right? We, we kind of get that. It's kind of uh, it's kind of ingrained in our DNA. Like uh, you know, even just right or left, but even like as a Christian, the idea of personal responsibility, right? You don't blame other people for your evil actions, right? You blame yourself. Now, yes, of course, you can be influenced by others. Uh, Of course, there's temptations. But ultimately, the decision that you choose to make is your decision to make. And you are responsible for it as free agents, as free creatures who can morally choose good or evil. We are responsible. But that has just seemed to be just on, on the left. That whole concept of personal responsibility is just gone. I mean, could you imagine a Democrat president saying today, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I mean, could you imagine a Democrat president saying that today? No way. It's all about what can uh, your country ask, not what you can do for your country. No, ask what your country can do for you. What free stuff your country can give you. And of course, we're going to be taking your personal liberties, you know, just one after one after another. But but you, but look, you get all this free stuff. You get, quote, equality, which is garbage. Show me a nation in history where everybody from the Politburo chief down to the bourgeois, show me where they've, there's been uh, income equality. Baloney. I will show you where the, the people at the very, very top get very rich and everybody else is poor. Socialism, man. Oh, my gosh. I saw this ad on Twitter from The, the Economist. They put a, a uh, and the ad was promoting, uh, you know, it was a, an article on the front about the new, uh, uh, the new millennial socialist. And I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> so I got in there and, and talked about the dark history of socialism some. I, I mean, it's just, I realize this is Mideast News Brief, so I'm, you know, it's not my job here to, to dissect socialism. But my gosh, my gosh, this is a, it, it's a dark, dark area we're going in. But I believe and agree with President Donald Trump that America will never be a socialist nation. Never. Now, we are a welfare state. I'll give you that. We are a welfare state. Right, but don't forget that in a in a pure Marxist socialist um, nation, there's no private property. You can't own private property. It's all owned by the government. The means of production, commerce, everything is owned by the government. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom of religion. You don't have protection from unlawful searches and seizures. I mean, forget it. The right to assembly in large groups, freedom of the press, the right to criticize the government? Are you kidding me? It's just fascinating to me that people on the left celebrate people like Che. They call Trump an authoritarian and a fascist, but they celebrate people like Che Guevara, which helped put Fidel Castro, a brutal, ruthless dictator, into office. I mean, these are the people that they celebrate. Those are the heroes of the left. Che Guevara. Unbelievable. All right. We're at 
about a minute, uh, an hour and 11 minutes. I am going to hit one last news story. Uh, one last news story. Uh, read a quick statement from the president on uh, sanctions on Iran, then we're going to get out of here. So, um, why did this happen? And why did it happen now? Well, there's a few reasons you could look at. They want to disrupt uh, uh, Israeli Memorial Day, which was on uh, May 7th. Uh, they have a Memorial Day, a little different in America. <laughs> it's, in, in America, it, it's like you go to the mall, you go to the movies, you know, you go shop the, the Macy's uh, Memorial Day sale or whatever. That's not how it is in Israel. Um, in Israel, it's a true memory day. It's a true day to set aside and remember the fallen soldiers. They've got all kinds of programming on TV, uh, specifically about that. Um, uh, it's a they have all, all types of community uh, events and so forth. So it's it really is a um, uh, a day dedicated to to mourning the as of right now uh, twenty three thousand since Israel's founding twenty three thousand seven hundred forty one fallen soldiers uh, defending Israel and 3,150 Israeli victims of terror. So that was May 7th. Also, uh, May 8th was Israel Independence Day, Um, which Israel Independence Day basically is the national day commemorating the Israeli Declaration of Independence, May 14th, 1948. Um, Independence Day is different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day of mourning. Independence Day is a day of celebration, and I've heard that there, <laughs> there's so much barbecuing, actually, that goes on in Israel on uh, Independence Day that the next day the skies of Israel are literally gray because of all of the barbecue. Um, like, everybody is doing it, apparently. Uh, barbecue's a... a Big thing on Independence Day. So that tells me I need to be in Israel on Independence Day. I got to uh, <laughs> plan, plan my next trip to Israel accordingly. Because Israel declared independence on May 14th, 1948, which corresponded with the Hebrew date 5 IR in that year, uh, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, which is Hebrew for the Day of Independence, was originally celebrated on that date. However, to avoid Sabbath desecration, it may be commemorated one or two days before or after the 5th of IR if it falls too close to the Jewish Sabbath. So when we uh, recognized uh, Jerusalem as the—I'm sorry, when we officially moved the embassy uh, May 14th of last year, that marked 70 years— for us, according to our calendar, from the founding of Israel. However, it, it, Israeli time, it does not correspond with American time, and so the day of independence is not always going to be the same day. They follow the Hebrew calendar. They do not follow the Gregorian calendar, and thus the days are the days are going to be different. But it's going to be you know it's going to be close within a few weeks. So happy birthday, Israel! We thank God for you as a nation both for the protection of the Jewish people and the way you've enriched the world. And could I, if you don't mind, just say an ironic blessing, the ironic blessing over Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Also remember uh, many uh, Arabs, some Arabs do celebrate Israel Independence Day, but a lot of them, they, they have their own celebration. They call it the Al-Nakba, or the Catastrophe. I'm pretty sure you know what my take on that would be. All right, so this, this last article I alluded to, Iran behind the Gaza escalation. This is the Jerusalem Post, May 6th. Here's, here's kind of the question, right? Who's behind this? Uh, who's funding this? Why is this happening now? And uh, they interviewed, uh, let's see here. Here we go. Iran, through Palestinian Islamic Jihad, its proxy in Gaza, is behind the current escalation in the south, former National Security Advisor Yaakov Amidror said on Sunday. Amidror, in a conversation with the Israel Project, traced the current round of massive rocket fire to Is- on Israel to Friday. Isn't that interesting? Friday. When, Islamic, when an Islamic Jihad sniper fired on IDF soldiers patrolling the Gaza border, wounding two officers. Israel responded and killed two Hamas men, and then the rocket barrage began from Gaza. So really, this, this ultimately looks like where it all started. What made Friday's shooting on the IDF patrol interesting, Amadour said, was that it took place precisely when Hamas and Islamic Jihad leaders were in Cairo putting the finishing touches on an agreement drawn up by Egypt that was designed to ease tension in the south. Okay, so while Hamas and Islamic Jihad leaders are meeting with Egypt designed to, uh, you know, drop an agreement to kind of ease issues, ease problems between Gazans and Israelis. A sniper from Islamic Jihad shoots on Israeli soldiers. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? They're, 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 they're developing a peace treaty. They're trying to make peace. They want to be a, a friendly neighborhood of southern Gazans. Why did the Islamic Jihad do this? Amidur were asked. The answer is again and again and again. Iran. Islamic Jihad, unlike Hamas, is a completely owned and operated Iranian subsidiary. Amidur said. It was established by Iran, financed by Iran, and does what Iran wants it to do. Iran's interest, Amidur said, is for Israel to embark on another major operation in Gaza freeing up Tehran to do what it wants unhindered in Syria. The Iranian idea, he said, is that, quote, Israel will be busy focusing on Gaza and not have enough energy to deal with the building up of an independent war machine in Syria. Look, Iranians view the Middle East as a big chessboard, and their ultimate goal is to kill the king. Their ultimate goal is to win. So look, what a, what a strategy, and what, what a way to uh, you know, catch, catch Israel off guard. I mean, Israel know what's going on. They know, they know what's going on. So they know representatives are meeting in, in Egypt to draw up an, an agreement. So 
I mean, not that Israel was necessarily caught off guard, but it probably wasn't a time that they were expecting them to do that. Iranian pressure, Amidror hinted, is the only explanation for why Islamic Jihad would fire on an IDF patrol while its leaders were in Cairo talking about an arrangement with Israel. Hamas, Amidror said, was dragged into the current escalation by Islamic Jihad. Now that's true, just because Hamas are terrorists doesn't mean that they necessarily wanted to commit an act of terrorism right now. <laughs> you know, this, they might not have wanted to right now. Right? This might, might not have been in their plans. Oh, but Islamic Jihad to the rescue, right? He added that which, whatever is agreed upon in Cairo, whatever arrangements are reached regarding fishing rights, the economy, and the transfer of Qatari funds, quote, at the end of the day, it will be destroyed by Islamic Jihad if Hamas does not take control and do what it should as an organization that is in control of the Gaza Strip. So Hamas has got to get Islamic Jihad in check. Uh I mean, this is, uh, look, when you, when you have terrorist groups, they're not always going to like each other, and they're not always going to have the same interests, and so you, of course, can uh, eventually have terrorist groups fighting terrorist groups. So it looks like Iran was behind this, and Iran wanted this to happen. And Iran doesn't care if Hamas doesn't want it right now, or maybe if Abbas in the, in the Palestinian Authority does not want it right now. They want it right now because it serves their purposes. Okay, I've got to talk about, uh, real quick, uh, Trump made a statement, basically, I mean, Trump has been hammering Iran, right? We talked about in a previous week's broadcast uh, that, basically, waivers are over, right? Like, as of this month, May, waivers are over. If you do business with Iran, you can no longer do business with the United States of America. Boy, what, oh, does it, isn't good leadership wonderful <laughs> you know and it and it's funny to go on twitter right it's funny to to go on twitter and read responses to uh, this statement from the president about uh, imposing sanctions on iron steel aluminum and copper sectors of iran to and that's basically what the what the statement says is that uh you cannot buy those things from Iran. And if you do, you cannot do business with us. That's, a, that's, the, uh, that's essentially what this uh, executive order says. But to go on Twitter, right, Trump is providing strong leadership, and he's providing um, uh, exactly what needs to be done to cripple this regime, to stop their nuclear program, right, economic warfare, the same thing that Reagan did with the Soviet Union. By the way, great book called The Crusader. Ronald Reagan's fight against, it's a history of Reagan's fight against communism. I think you can find it for like three bucks on Amazon. Fascinating read. And reading that book, where he documents Reagan's history and fight against uh, the Soviet Union, is uh, remarkably similar to what we're seeing with Trump and Iran. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so because that regime needs to uh, be crippled, and it needs to fall, and it needs to be replaced, because the Persian people do not want this horrific terrorist regime. But to go on Twitter 
And to see how people respond, oh, well, you work with Saudi Arabia, they're dictators, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're trying to, like, make Trump a, a hypocrite out of it. And it's like, guys, don't you guys understand that um, Saudi Arabia is not trying to destabilize the Middle East? Right? I'm, and look, I'm no fan of the Saudi regime at all, okay? But, look, this, this is a—Trump is trying to deal with and trying to weaken a, a genocidal— regime that has promised death to America and death to Israel. They chant death to America, death to Israel. And that is what Trump is trying to to, to weaken and destroy. Saudi Arabia isn't doing that. It's almost like we can't go after anybody because if you go after someone, then there's somewhere, some other country you should be going after and you're, you're a hypocrite. I mean, you can't take on everybody. Yes, of course, we would love the Middle East, to be a, a bastion of Jeffersonian republicanism. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great, although I'm sure most of these commenters don't like that idea. Of course, these are so many of these guys are just kind of uh, paid trolls, right? But goodness, can we support our president on anything? No, they can't, because the only thing that matters is defeating Donald Trump, not what actually is good for our country. Okay, yeah, this is going to be another long show. I got a real quick mention. This is um, at this is going to be up at MideastNewsBrief.com. You can read more about it. But I wanted to mention this because I wanted to use this show as a way uh, to bring awareness of something that is uh, obviously, I think, bothersome to most people, and that is, of course, uh, trafficking. And it looks like. Uh, there's quite a bride market for Christian women in Pakistan to be uh, sold to kind of the highest Chinese bidder. China is in a, you may be aware of this, but China is in a brutal demographic scenario right now. Brutal. There are 25% more men in China then there are women. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Typically in a culture kind of left to itself, you're going to have, you know, maybe 5% more women or something like that than men. But because of China's brutal, evil, wicked, one-child policy, and the culture of China says... And this is uh, basically what I've I've seen them say in China is that if you um, if you have a girl, you're selling your future, right? Because it, it takes a boy in their idea to like carry on the family business and take care of the family, and so thus uh, chi- the Chinese get ultrasounds and they find out if it's a girl, and if it's a girl, they kill the baby. They murder, they have the unborn baby murdered by a, quote, doctor. By the way, see the movie Unplanned if you haven't yet. It is very, very, very eye-opening. You know Unplanned is a threat because Twitter was jacking with their account in all kinds of crazy ways. Oh, they're so evil. Oh, God, Twitter. (laughs) But I believe in using evil platforms because it's still a way to, as long as you can, because it's still a way to reach people 
with with truth and with love. But uh, so there's there's a bride market, and and really they're with the promise because there's such poverty in Pakistan. There's like uh, what two and a half million Christians for like per uh, against two hundred million Muslims, right? So they're already which this article, of course, from the AP doesn't talk about it, but they're already dimmies. They're second-class citizens. Um, it's so funny to hear the world just so upset saying that the Palestinians are second-class citizens when, when uh, second-class citizenship is codified <laughs> in, in uh, Muslim teachings called a dimmy. You got to pay tribute. You got to pay the jizya. You got to pay the tax, and we'll let you live. Lovely, isn't it? The religion of peace. So basically what's going on is that they are, because there's such rampant poverty and families cannot afford to take care of their daughters, and there's such a shortage of women in China, they're basically selling their daughters to Chinese men. Christian, quote, Christian families. Now, look, I'm, I'm not going to judge harshly because, they're, I mean, they're in, a, in extreme p- poverty. But what they're finding, uh, but for one, it's still wrong. And number two, but what they're finding is they get sold to these Chinese men. Oh, they're well off, and oh, they're this and that. Life's going to be great. And then it turns out to be not the case at all. And then they come back from Pakistan pregnant and wanting a divorce. So. If trafficking is on your heart, please go to minisnoosbrief.com, click uh, uh, on this podcast episode, read the show notes, and um, uh, look at the show notes, and read this article, and please pray. Please pray for the situation in Pakistan with uh, Christian women brides basically being trafficked to China. And also, while you're at it, pray for China, that their one-child policy, which has just resulted in the death of millions and millions and millions of unborn children, will come to an end. All right, we are at an hour and a half, but I'm going to do something that I haven't done the past few episodes, episodes, and I am going to do... The quote of the week. I have uh, begun reading a book called Science and the Mind of the Maker by Dr. Melissa Travis. It is an excellent, excellent book, at least so far. I've read through the the intro and, and through chapter two. An excellent discussion of the relationship between science and faith. Um, because there is this whole idea out there that science is rational, faith is just irrational, and we can only understand things that are discovered scientifically. Well, just a big problem with that, for one, is that that itself is not a statement discovered scientifically. For you to say, the only thing we can know is what is um, understood through science, that's not a scientific statement. <laughs> that's a philosophical Assertion, right? That's a that's a it's self defeating to say that initially. So it's ludicrous to say that uh, the only things we can know are through scientific inquiry. 
I mean, do you know that you love your wife? Do you know that you love your kids? Did you have to conduct a scientific experiment to know that? Well, you could say, well, that's subjective. Okay, well, but it is, sure, who people love and different degrees of love is subjective. Right, but you know that you love someone that you love, right? So, great book, highly recommend it. Um, and there, uh, there was a great poem. This is on page 39 of Science and the Mind of the Maker. Um, in May of 1857, the 50th birthday of Harvard biologist and geologist Louis Agassiz, I don't know if I said that right, was celebrated in Cambridge, Massachusetts. To mark the occasion, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow composed a poem in honor of his dear friend. I don't know why I did a British accent. It just kind of came across as a British <laughs> type name to me. The, the verses beautifully reflect Agassiz's conviction that nature, like written scripture, is part of God's revelation to mankind. And, I, and here is the poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I thought it was beautiful, and so I am going to read it. It's not very long, but just listen and think about it. You know, I was, and it's funny, on, on Wednesday, I was taking my kids to, sco- to school, and I was, you know, just driving down a regular street, lots of concrete, lots of man's creation. And the idea kind of hit me. You know, as I'm driving down the street, I'm going to focus on, the little bit of God's creation that I see. Of course, keep your eyes on the road, right? But, uh, you know, look at the trees. Look at the grass. Look at flowers that might be on the side of the road. Look at the clouds, you know. Um, just obviously, again, keep your eye on the road, but don't be, um, you know, because I'm a nature guy, right? And I, I get depressed when I'm around too much concrete. <laughs> so um, uh, I... I was like, you know what? I'm going to, here and there as I'm driving, I'm just going to appreciate the parts of God's creation that I see, right? And so here is what, uh, uh, and then that afternoon, I began reading this book. And here is the poem that I read that was very inspiring to me. In nature, the old nurse took the child upon her knee saying, here is a storybook thy father has written for thee. Come, wander with me, she said, into regions yet untrod, and read what is still unread in the manuscripts of God. And he wandered away and away with nature, the dear old nurse, who sang to him night and day the rhymes of the universe. And whenever the way seemed long or his heart began to fail, she would sing a more wonderful song, or tell a more marvelous tale. All right, and that will do it for this week's edition of Midi Snooze Brief. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, all of the articles referenced here will be available at midisnoozebrief.com in the show notes. Also, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Alexa, and uh, make sure to tell all your friends, tell everybody about how much you love Mideast News Brief, of course. Thank you guys so much again for joining us, and we'll see you right here again next week. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Gaza.